Spirits of French Lick is proud to introduce the Lee Sinclair Four Grain Bottled and Bond Bourbon. This four-year-age, double-pot distilled, non-chill filtered bourbon has creamy, round, and lifting notes with caramel and vanilla, followed by apple, mint, graham cracker, and ginger, as well as cardamom. The finish is slightly French walnut, resolving the sweet, fruity, almost ground cherry and white pepper. Our spirits are available for tasting and purchase inside the French Lick Winery and Distillery. Spirits of French Lick. Respect the grain. Please enjoy responsibly. Spirits of French Lick is proud to introduce the Maddie Gladden Bottled and Bond Bourbon. This four-year-aged bourbon is double-pot distilled and non-chill filtered and has a full-bodied mouthfeel with eucalyptus, molasses, clove, ginger, and slight citrus as well as grains of paradise. The finish is long and reappearing on the back of the tongue with notes of pepper, tobacco leaf, and mint cream. All of our spirits are available for tasting and purchase inside the French Lick Winery and Distillery. Spirits of French Lick, respect the grain, please enjoy responsibly, and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We're very technical. Another podcast of the Scotchy Bourbon Boys. Oh, tonight we have Tiny, we have Whiskey, and then we have Mark, last name? I suck, there you go. I, I knew that, but I suck at <laughs> names under pressure. And then uh, from Old Line Spirits out of Baltimore, Maryland, correct? Yes, sir. Yes. Woohoo. So we have a wonderful podcast set up. It's great. Uh, we are live on uh, Facebook also, so a lot of you guys are watching there and excited. So anybody having any comments or whatever, feel free to chime in. Uh, there's nothing been yet so far, but, you know, it's, it is a Tuesday night. You just never know. <laughs> but we're the Scotchy Bourbon Boys, www.scotchybourbonboys.com. Check us out there for everything Scotchy Bourbon Boys. Uh, also, we are on all major podcast formats. Uh, check us out there. And then also we're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter and TikTok, make sure that you like, listen, comment, and leave good feedback. We appreciate that very much. Yep. So, quick shout out to James. First comment on Facebook. Welcome, James. Oh, right. Welcome to James. <laughs> uh, Mark, so uh, we've had a lot of, um, what would you say? Uh, uh, a little bit of t- a little bit of time to do a little bit of research. So one of the things that uh, a, the that makes your uh, whiskey distillery special is the relationship you have with your partner. Correct? 
And yes. go into that a little bit. I mean, we, you know, I read a little bit, but, you know, how did this come about, you know, as far as, you know, making old line spirits? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks, gents, for having me on here. Um, glad to be here and uh, appreciate the question. It's, it's our, um, you know, our kind of origin story, if you will, is a little bit different than a lot of distilleries that, you know, Arch, my business partner, uh, he and I were Navy buddies. We used to fly together uh, for about, about nine or 10 years uh, on active duty. And then and we knew each other on active duty a little bit, uh, but never were in the same squadron. Uh, but both decided to get out of the service at a certain point, both ended up moving to the mid Atlantic. Um, and then we flew out of the same reserve squadron out here for a couple of years together uh, and just became, you know, real good buddies there. So, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, when I first met him, you know, we had no idea we could make a whiskey one day. We both liked to drink it, but uh, we, you know, it, you know, he was an engineer. I became an investment banker after the Navy. So really did not envision this. But uh, a couple of years in careers that really weren't scratching our itch. Uh, and we started to think more about what do we want to do as opposed to what are we doing now? And uh, that's when we just started kicking around, you know, this concept of, you know, starting a distillery. And originally, we frankly thought we were going to start a bourbon uh, and or rye whiskey distillery for all the reasons you'd imagine. We love bourbon. We love rye. You know, bourbon's a quintessential American style whiskey. Rye's quintessential Maryland style. And this whole American single malt uh, just fell in our lap um, by virtue of being able to apprentice and learn from two guys who were looking to retire. So it's, it's a it's a very, very uh, serendipitous path as, as far as how we got here. OK, yeah. Um, so and you talk about the fact that it was um, it fell into your lap. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like. Uh, you guys were looking into doing that. And then uh, as far as learning the skill, I mean, that's the part that where yeah. it, it just worked out. I mean, the, it, it did. It, yeah. It, 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 uh, so the, uh, so my decided to quit my banking job, you know, I was working 80 something hours a week, something crazy. You know, at the time I wasn't working, I was trying to be home to my wife and my kids. Uh, so it wasn't like I, had an opportunity when I started to think, Hey, I want to start my own business. I want to make whiskey. I want to get in on this whole you know, movement that's happening. This is 2014 when I quit uh, the job. Um, there wasn't really any time in my life to stop and make a business plan and kind of think it through. It was kind of, Hey, do I keep doing what I'm doing cranking away or do I quit and jump in with both feet? So to me, the obvious answer for, in my world was just quit and jump in and try to figure it out. And step one in trying to figure out how to start distillery for me ended up being, uh, attending the American Distilling Institute uh, conference in 2014 out in Seattle. I was going out there for a wedding anyway. I was the best man at a wedding. So I said, hey, this conference is happening right the same week. I'll go out there a couple of days early and I'll just shake hands and try to figure out, you know, which way is up. How do I start with step one? And uh, on the second day of that conference, I was sitting down checking my email on my phone and a gentleman kind of flopped down on the couch next to me, starts chatting me up and his name is Bob Stilnovich and Bob was one of the co-founders of Golden Northwest Distillery, a tiny, tiny, tiny distillery uh, out in a place called Samish Island, Washington, a jut of land out in the northern Puget Sound. And Bob had driven down about 90 minutes or two hours to Seattle that day because he was looking to sell his business. Uh, and the reason was his business partner slash friend slash Navy, uh, since a fellow veteran uh, and neighbor uh, was terminally ill. So Jim Caudill, his neighbor, uh, had a terminal lung condition. So this went from being a fun thing that two guys that were doing this, making a whiskey they loved, making a few bucks on the side, 
out of a barn, basically on a on a box property. It went from being a fun thing for two guys to being uh, a really hard thing for one guy who's seventy two to do by himself, and because uh, Jim couldn't help anymore, he was sick. So uh, it was time for them to pass the torch. And right when we were looking to get started, um, and they didn't want this to go away, right? They had built this; they're very proud of it. They didn't want to just sell the assets and move on. They wanted somebody to pick up where they left off. Uh, and then you know we're. Iraq, Afghanistan debts, their Vietnam debts. We just all hit it off. And ultimately, after kind of flying out there to kick the tires and see the operation, which was tiny, but it was really cool, uh, decided that, you know what? I love bourbon. I love rye, but I love this whiskey they're making. And this is the new thing, a new category. Sure, let's go for it. So I also have some good advice along the way. One of our board members, who's a big bourbon guy, uh, really nudged us in this direction. He's like, hey, man, there's a lot of great bourbon out there, but there's not a lot of American single malts yet. So I want to look at this really hard. And that was really good advice. So, yeah, it's uh, right place, right time. And the ability to apprentice was huge. I mean, um, I didn't know it at the time, but if somebody were to call us tomorrow and say, hey, I want to work for you for free and learn how to make whiskey, it's not necessarily a no-brainer yes, because there's a lot of effort and time that goes into training that person and, like, giving them the value that they deserve for doing that. So it's not like a... I thought, hey, I can apprentice and learn somewhere to make whiskey. I didn't realize how rare that opportunity is because it's really asking a lot of the person teaching it. And Bob's willingness to let us live in his guest house and stay as long as we wanted to make whiskey every day was uh, was really a game changer for us. Yeah, that that's like really cool. The opportunity uh, at the right time when you were thinking about it, and you're you're right. <clears throat> um, I. Uh, I have, I'm a manager to some extent. And when you put, you got to pick and choose the people you put that time and effort in. Now I understand, you know, they were at that level where they're not going to be around. They were at the end of doing what they were doing and they were passing, passing it on. But you, you don't want to pass that on to somebody who's not going to take that knowledge and utilize it. But with that said, being, uh, doing this podcast in the whiskey industry, the quality of the people that you meet, they're the people. It, it's like there's 100. percent It's a it's a combination of an art form and a hardworking individual. And when you take that and they understand it, um, it's usually what makes up a quality person. So you you know you met a quality person who did it, and they're they're usually kind and giving. I mean, you don't run into a lot of selfishness in the industry. You don't run, and most people that you get to know, um, so many become your friends. And you know, you as you know, you're making American American single malt, and where you've gone with this, and where you've taken it. You've met people in the industry, and everybody's so willing to help the other person out. Now, I really feel that's partially because there technically is no competition at the moment. It's like most most craft distilleries or however they set up their model. What when they're when they start to sell the whiskey, that's not the hard part because. <laughs> Most people are coming in buying the whiskey, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes in that is very where your your dedication comes in. And it's uh, I agree with everything you just said. You know, one I thought a lot about this. Why, you know, why it is such a kind of a 
genial atmosphere. And you know, one thing that somebody once told me, which I buy into, is that you take, you know, look at what's the root of American. Well, first of all, you know, Scotland, and then you know, immigrants came here, and then we made the American, you know, the bourbon industry and American whiskey, uh, whiskey industry. So, you know, you look at Kentucky, and you know, my understanding is that so many of those people have been doing this generationally. And like, you know, let's say you know, we're, we all live in Kentucky, and you know, I work at you know Wild Turkey, and you work down the street at someplace else. But I work with your your best friend, your best friend's cousin works here. It's all everybody knows each other. So like, all these competitive businesses are all staffed by people who are friends and family with each other. And I think that really does get into the DNA of the business. And I think even though we're not in Kentucky, I think that we benefit from that. We, you know, part of our culture is because what we learn from people who helped us. So I think there's a lot, you know, maybe as we get bigger, you know, there might be a few sharper elbows in there, but generally speaking, we've had nothing but a warm reception from anybody in the industry, big or small. It's been amazing. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, bar and grill fans. It's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk, where me and my co-hosts sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby. And I, I agree. I mean, honestly, as it extends out, the, the, but now, what, now, again, you're making American single malt. And so... That takes us to another conversation. For one, uh, go over the rules of American single malt as far as what you have to. How that differs when you're making American when you're making the that that the malt whiskey opposed to making bourbon, and then uh, draw the 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 parallels to the difference between American single malt and a Scotch. Or an Irish whiskey, you know, sure. just kind of go through that. Doesn't that sound like yeah. a, doesn't that sound like an essay question? Yeah. <laughs> and draw the parallels too. <laughs> I, I have I have twenty minutes. Yeah, uh, it's uh, no. So it's uh, it's the cat. Well, I'll open with the fact that the category American single malt is is not fully recognized yet. Even so, right now we're under the the federal government the TTB. We are defined as an American malt whiskey. So. For all you bourbon lovers out there, you know, you guys know the definition of bourbon. It's at least 51% corn, you know, distilled between certain parameters, aged and virgin oak. Uh, take that definition and remove the word corn and put in the term malted barley. And that is really how we're loosely defined right now. However, um, we're, as a community of distillers, we're adhering to a more narrow definition because that's what we want to be. So you know, we're one of 70-something members of what's called the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission. Uh, that was founded by Westland, Balcones, few Santa Fe Spirits, or a few others, maybe Virginia Distilling Company. The people who were really amongst the first ones doing it. Bob and Jim, our forebears, were certainly amongst the first, but they were so small they weren't part of that commission. But at any rate, um, what we as a group are trying to do is we know the government is going to commit, was going to inevitably come in and throw some more debt. Once a bunch of us started to make this single malt, this uh, kind of scotch. Uh, products reminiscent in some ways of a single malt scotch, we knew the government was going to come in and throw boundaries on it. So we figured might as well work with them on it and not get something that we think is ridiculous and have to deal with it. So we've kind of defined it ourselves and the government is about to approve it as 
Um, it's a little less restrictive in several ways from both traditional scotch and from bourbon. So compared to a scotch, the similarities are a single malt scotch, we're using only 100% malted barley. So we don't use any corn, no wheat, no rye. So malted barley is the only grain we use. Uh, ours is a non-peated malt. So unlike uh, a lot of like Isla scotches and things like that that had that peaty, smoky character, which are, I think are wonderful for what they are, uh, it's not what we're trying to do. Um, so up until it goes in, uh, so it's 100% malted barley, just like a single malt scotch. Uh, however, in Scotland, you can only make single malt scotch on a pot still. Um, you're not allowed to use a column still for the single malt scotch. You can do it for blends and things like that, um, for blending whiskey. So, uh, we're allowed to use either just like a bourbon. Uh, and now on the aging side of bourbon, as you guys know, it has to be aged in first, first use, uh, oak and, uh, first use charred oak. And in American single malt, we've defined it where we can use new or used oak uh, because we want people to have flexibility. We want the category to have some, some breadth and width. And you, know, you look at bourbon and scotch, they're, they're very heavily defined for good reason. They're these amazing categories that have developed over hundreds of years and they want to protect them. We're in a different position. We want to encourage new entrants and encourage creativity because at this point in our growth, that's what's going to make us stronger is getting new people in doing interesting things. So we want to put the guardrails on where it's not too wacky, you know, but also give people room to get in there and experiment and see what they can make. Well, just uh, for instance, single malt scotch, you know, on a pot still. But again, if they were to say you had to use new American oak bar barrels, that would be like tying your hands in the category because, uh, because, you know, you, all those, all the scotches and, the thing, what's really kind of cool is to watch what happens over the last 40 years with bourbon. And now we're getting into where the, it's it's got that whole ball rolling and all the rules and everything. And then all of a sudden there's blending and finishing. Basically, single malt has gone through this in Scotland and it's six... 700 years old so yeah. all the stuff that bourbon's going through has been done already i mean you know johnny walker was a i mean it was a grocery store he was getting barrels blending and everybody loved what and it just transferred into this giant you know conglomerate of today but as far as aging in the barrels and how they blend you know, bourbon's just kind of doing that and discovering itself by taking other stuff and redefining the, you know, the actual category where single malt has pretty much gone through the whole thing. So there's a lot of stuff now as far as America, American single malt, you that's a great category to me. And I think it's coming. One, the barrel issue is definite. It's not an issue of a shortage of everybody's like, well, it's a shortage of oak. It's not. We all know that it's a shortage of being able to get enough people <laughs> to get the wood out of the out of the forest. And we right now they're having problems doing that. And then you got to you got to cut it, season it. There, it's not like you just cut down a tree and the next day you're using a stave. It's not how right. that works. And so having those used barrels uh, opens up your categories where one 
distilleries here are going to want to ship you the barrels because the shipping costs, you know, and what you, what, you know, what you, you're closer and everything and you can, you're able to do it and you don't have to ship and it's American made. And so I think, you know, you get the support of a lot of the distilleries, you know, getting those barrels, but then it just opens that category up so much. Yeah. You have, um, I, looking at your website, you have the wine finishes, you know, the Armanac, the cone, all that, the Orla Rosa Sherry and everything. But also what's available down the road is all those bourbon casks and, and whatever. And I really see that opening this category up hugely. Uh, what do you, you know, what do you think about that? I, I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that there's, um, it's, it seems to me like everything's happening, you know, much more quickly these days. You know, you look at, to take a different comparison, you took it, you know, from the scotch and bourbon angle, looking at like craft beer, um, you know, when did that really start? I guess Anchor Steam was making kind of, at the time, weird stuff uh, in the 60s, 70s, I guess. And then really, you know, Sam Adams and Harpoon and all these guys that, you know, in the, in the, in the 90s and 2000s that really started to get a whole lot of take hold. You know, that was a, a decades long cycle. And to me, I feel like it's, happening with you know craft spirits uh, and then american single malt in particular but on a much more condensed rate like it's it's all that uh all those lessons learned from the past are being incorporated very quickly so you mentioned earlier i, I think i heard it right was that you know three four years ago you know samples you know some were great some maybe weren't i think you're probably starting to see the quality not just in american single malt but across categories amongst the newer players is getting better and better because people are People are smart and they're learning and they're making good juice and there's a lot of good whiskey out there. Um, so yeah, I mean, for us, this, this is not really answering your exact question, but this is kind of tangential to it. In my opinion is that, you know, what we're trying to produce at old line, I can't speak for the rest of the category, but at old line, you know, we're not looking to become anybody's, you know, gone are the days where like people say, I'm a McAllen man. All I pick is McAllen. That's, you know, that's the older generation. You know, I'm sure you guys, and I know me, I reach for all sorts of things. I like that, but I had that rotation of seven or eight, you know, that I'll go to a lot more often than others. And with us, we're not trying to kick somebody else out of the grocery cart. We're trying to just be in there with them, right? We want to be, you know, we know that we're, we can't fill, you can't be all things to all people, but we want to provide a flavor profile that is really appealing to the American consumer, typically the bourbon drinker, uh, but give them something very different than they're used to having in that rotation. Uh, and that's how, that's how we see us winning as a brand inside the category. So, you know, I'm, Kind of curious. So, you know, one of the things that makes bourbon so diverse is, I mean, you have your corn, which has to be 51%, but um, then, you know, we can put rye, we can put wheat, we can vary our barley. I mean, you're barley, right? I mean, you're barley. So, I mean, have you guys looked at sources, you know, small batch barley producers, um, I mean, talk about where you get your barley from, why you pick yeah. that particular barley. And I, I mean, do you have other you know lines or other labels that you're looking at coming out with that are going to feature maybe a different? Because, I mean, really, the, the, the base of your whiskey is barley and yeast, right? So yeah, it's, barley, yeast, water, milk, yep. Yeah, so you can vary your yeast and you can vary your barley. And that's the only thing you can do on the front end to really, you know, Make this old line taste different than, you know, Jones, you know, Jones's locker or whatever else you're going to call your next label. So, 
you got to watch. I, I I don't know if you've seen The Water of Life. Have you Have you watched that? I know the movie. I've seen clips. I need, yeah. I need to watch the rest of it. But I think I, I know where you're going. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, what they get into there as far as season and then the so they feel that where they grow that barley, what, there's a name for it. I forget what it is. Tincture or tor- yeah that's it that was it is it grows on the ocean right off the ocean and that salt gets in that barley and it affects the flavor they and they're actually doing in scott you know and right there in scotland they're doing scientific experiments on how that affects each area where that barley grows and how that affects the actual but but again He'll he'll answer the question as far as what else he can do to make the flavor profile. Yeah, and well, I agree with that. And also another thing that uh, sets us as far as on the front end, uh, to your point, to your point, whiskey is that the uh, you, know, you look at. I mean, I, I, w- I would never say that corn is corn because it's different types of corn, so I'm not going to say that. But uh, the variety in characteristic, in my humble opinion, that you get from corn in a, in a whiskey match bill, as far as different types and it's, it's going to be pretty narrow uh, malt, when you malt a, a, a barley. So what they're doing essentially uh, for those listeners who may not be familiar, malting is taking a grain that hasn't germinated yet, tricking it in a place called a malt house to start to sprout by putting it into water essentially, and then drying it out. So the way that they dry that grain out has a dramatic effect on the flavor. So for example, you know, we only use malted barley, but we use two types. One of them is called a pale malt. Um, if you were to take a bite of that grain, uh, out of the bag, it would taste like grape nut cereal. So like, you know, mildly sweet, grainy, you know, pleasant. Uh, and then 13% of our mash bill is a, a deep kiln malt called a C120, uh, C stands for crystal, which is just that basically means that some of those sugars, they, when they dry that grain, they did it at a higher temperature and it caramelized some of those sugars. So you were to take a bite of that grain and it tastes like raisin bread flakes. So identical grain before the malting process, but they taste very, very different. So to give you an idea of the malted barley itself, so your point makes a lot of sense because it is one grain, but within that grain, there's so many different flavor profiles you can get. You can get really smoky grain, um, like peated grain, um, things like that. So we actually, I think we think we actually have in some ways as much, if not maybe even a little more flexibility because of that. And to your, to your other question about what are we going to do? You know, um, so most of what we do uh, is uh, the same mash bill. It's at the 87, 13 split. I just told you about, and that's what Bob and Jim used to do. And we never, we love it. We, we don't want to change it. We still get our grain from the same supplier called Great Western Malt House out near uh, near Portland, Oregon and Vancouver, Washington. Um, but we do some experimentation. Malting barley doesn't grow really all that great in Maryland. Um, I mean, not saying it can't, but it's really not a big crop down here. It's a short season crop. Um, so we've kind of kept our eyes open for local stuff, uh, some closer to home, but we really haven't found anything compelling yet. Um, but we do import some grain actually from the UK. That's our, our peated kind of smokier character stuff. Um, so we will vary the mash bill a bit here and there for, for different types of uh, small run things. But for us, um, it's that 8713 virgin oak aging. And then where we do a lot of, uh, uh, we, where the flavor profile for us starts to take different directions is a lot of the barrel finishing. So the Oloroso sherry finishes the Madeira, um, the rum finish, those sorts of things are really where we try to take that kind of flagship profile and kind of nudge it in different directions. Okay. that Okay. So explain to me 
chocolate malted? So chocolate malt will be a term. I forget exactly what the technical definition is, but it's going to be, uh, I mentioned that C120, that crystal malt that we have. That C number, you know, we have C120. C can be C, I don't know, lowest, but it can go up C300, 400, 500. That just indicates how much of that uh, caramelization process was allowed to happen in that malting process uh, and drying it out. So a chocolate malt is going to be in the higher end of that spectrum uh, and have a really dark chocolate roasted kind of coffee character. Uh, think about like what you make a Guinness with, um, you know, so that's really, really deep, deep kiln, heavy, heavy malts. Um, and as a result, you know, uh, one of the downsides of used to notice is that the alcohol content is low because a lot of those sugars aren't fermentable by the yeast anymore. So, uh, you know, we use 13% of that grain because we want to get that flavor, but we use 100 percent of it. Well, it wouldn't taste like we want it, but also we, we get very low alcohol yield. So we have to keep in mind of the economics as well. So, so a malt's going to be a, a deeper kiln malt, similar to our C120, but even darker. So if you're making a bourbon and you use a chocolate malt, and it's only four percent or five percent or whatever or eight percent, let's just say you're picking up your sugars from the corn, the corn and the wheat, or the, the, the rye. Okay. Exactly. And, and then, and, and for, uh, we don't make bourbon, but you know, my understanding is that really the benefit of barley in a bourbon, uh, more often than not, is, is the enzymes. Um, I'm not saying it's only that, but that's right. really, uh, it's an enzymatic uh, benefit. That's where it's the 4%, but like I know yeah. old elk does 34%. So they actually are making a barley bourbon because that's their secondary grain. You know, malt, malt, barley. And then also, I know that Rabbit Hole, their Race King founder series, they use two double chocolate malts. I mean, and they use enough of that malt that when you look at that uh, fermentation, it's it looks like chocolate. I mean, it's yeah. just brown and whatever. So, yeah, you you got to kind of increase it to get that flavor. But, it, it you know, that's one thing. But as far as, you know, like what you're saying, as far as single malt, I... That you've explained and cleared up a lot of stuff that very helpful. Well, I appreciate that. And it's uh, and one thing I will say too is that yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the chocolate malt because you know our C120, our crystal malt that we use. You know, I think that that character is it's a really important part of what we do, um, and it carries over really, really well. So, not that I want to sit here and tell you what you're going to taste, but um, one thing that we uh, we 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 notice and we try to strive for is to have that kind of dark chocolate cocoa kind of character. Not as overwhelming by any means, uh, but really it's there. Uh, a lot of chocolate covered cherry, things like that, some people pick up on. So uh, we just love it. You know, I don't know how Bob and Jim stumbled across that grain, but we're just glad they did. It's like malt oatmeal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, there you go. All right, so um, let's uh, let's uh, give this uh, a taste. Yeah. So when you guys are, are sipping there, uh, what I'm sipping here with you uh, is our uh, 86 proof expression of our flagship American single malt. So like we said, malted barley, 8713, uh, pale malt and crystal malt, uh, uh, double distilled age four to five years in a 30 gallon barrel. Um, this is one of our last 30 gallon barrel bottles that we you know, those will be phased out in the next few months uh, and moving into the 53s, that'll be four to seven years old. And then... Um, the uh it's the what did I forget there? It's at age four to five years. And yeah, virgin oak, number four char. Uh, almost all of what we do is number four char. We love that char level. And uh so what we're trying to deliver here, and I'll let you guys tell me if you think we, we hit it or not, is 
uh, I, I alluded to it earlier, is that a, a single malt for a bourbon drinker. And we're not trying to be a bourbon as much as we love bourbon. We're not trying to be that. We're not trying to be a scotch. We're trying to be a, a single malt that a bourbon drinker would reach for when he or she wants something a little different. Um, and another way I describe it is like, you know, I've never been a DJ, but I've seen those DJ booths with all those, you know, dials and all that. You can turn this up, turn this down. I like to say that we deliver all the same flavors that a bourbon does, just at very, very different levels. So the thing, the, the same things are there, just some are lower, some are higher, um, which is one way I like to describe it. So uh, we tasted a little bit. I tasted a little bit on Saturday, but I just, I, I've, it's like single malts for me. You know where we do a lot of bourbon drinking. Um, the nose for me is always because bourbons are always so straightforward, and they, they but but the the noses on a single malt are a lot more subtle. And I just I just figured out the nose on here. I, I I'm gonna it. I get I get like if you open up a bag of Skittles, and you smell all the Skittles at once. Not a lime Skittle, not but it's, you just get that. Little bit of a the citrus twang to it. I just like it's just like it just hit me on that when I just finally I it's like sometimes you know as you go about and that you have your days where you taste better and you you know but yeah. but it's like the when you get to analyze something where you analytically which I get to do a lot it's it takes a little i always find if you keep revisiting it eventually you can form the opinion it's really tough a lot of times to just do it in the one sit in one session oh, 100% agree although there's a lot of distilleries that they don't have a choice they just do it in one session <laughs> the uh it's amazing you mentioned that kind of fruit character there's uh it's 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 a level of science that i certainly don't understand but i love that this grain that, you know, like I said earlier, you tasted this grain, you know, uh, you know, raisin bran flakes and raisin nut cereal. Now those two things with some water and yeast and fermenting and, and distillation can yield fruit character. It still blows my mind, but it's, it's, it does. Um, and, it, you know, for me, it's a little more like the stone fruit, like, you know, nectarine, um, maybe ripe peach, that sort of thing, but maybe a little citrus, probably the same thing you're smelling, just, it just comes across to my brain that way. So, you know, it's funny to me, to me, this is going to sound maybe a little left field, but uh, my grandmother still made fruitcake. Like she didn't go to the store and buy one. Um, and so if you take the alcohol out of this nose, because the nose is so light, I mean, it is gentle, um, but it almost smells like grandma's baking a fruitcake cake in the room next door. I use that exact same example, not for this particular one, but for our sherry finish, yeah. which is the same whiskey just finished with sherry. Uh, that, that exact description earlier today is that that one to me the nose is like a, like a fruitcake, and I and I whether like I don't eat a lot of I mean I in the holidays I always oh, have hell a piece, no, that, you you regift that stuff I mean come yeah, on yeah but the smell the smell is but good. smells yeah. good yeah that's right yeah well, you know it's like when it's like those candles my wife buys I don't want to eat them but darn they smell good. No, uh, <laughs> I could see that. Um, I mean, your that fruit bread is candy. You know the different candy cherries, and I think that Skittles is in the same. They're a little bit. Uh, what would you say? Tart, more tart than a candy cherry, but overall, it's the same kind of fruity, sugary kind of thing that goes on. But then the taste. Yeah, this is not a bourbon. <laughs> For those of you at home. <laughs> well, it's not. It's an American single malt. Absolutely. 
there's you're not you're not pulling flavors from a corner or a rye. I mean, you're pulling those flavors from that malt. And I think initially when I was drinking this, um, I was I pick up a lot of honey, mm-hmm. and then I pick up that malt odi kind of flavor. So it it it, it uh, gives me rain. it gives me the taste of almost like a honey nut Cheerio. It's, it's, um, and I, I didn't use that description earlier. Somebody else earlier today, and it's the first time I've ever heard that description used, and it's twice in one day. I've heard like <laughs> cereal grains, like breakfast cereal, but you, two people in one day said honey nut Cheerios. And I get nuttiness, and I get honey and sweet, so that makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, Jeff yeah. really likes comparisons to things that have small holes. <laughs> he had to put that in. He was supposed to behave, and he didn't. There you go. <laughs> the... Uh, no, it's it's amazing, you know, as you guys know, each barrel is different, right? Uh, so when we do our barrel program, we have, you know, accounts come in and pick them and whatever. And sometimes I'll pull these samples and like it's just the, the range is just pretty wild. Once in a while, I'll get a barrel that tastes like peach iced tea to me, like stone yeah. fruit, nectarine, the, the tobacco notes, I guess, from the oak and, you know, a little bit of sweet. And other times it tastes like baking spice and cinnamon. I mean, the baseline is all kind of the same, but... Those variations are just, it's, it's, it's wild how much one barrel can vary from the next. Yeah, I mean, the scented honey finish on this is really, I mean, that, that, that's the true finish to yeah. me. What stays it's on delicious. the palate after is, is a, like a, a really high-end scented you know, honey. And I really love the viscosity of this. It almost delivers a thickness of that. You know, you're not getting, and, and although it's light overall, as far as the mouthfeel, but the mouthfeel is complete throughout. You know, it goes all the way. It's you. You can taste in your in your cheeks, under your tongue. The it's not like it's like big and bold and burning, but the flavor is full a full uh, you know tasting experience. There's no doubt about it. So, okay, go ahead. Oh no, so I appreciate that. And you know, one of the uh, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking a little out of school here because, you know, I, I know enough to be dangerous behind the still, but I don't know all that much. Our, my business partner, the distiller, they, they know a lot more than I do. But my understanding of that mouthfeel is that we, as a single malt, um, and us included, we, we distill typically in our batch distillation system a little bit deeper into what uh, a, a bourbon or a rye might consider to be tails. We would consider to still be hearts. Um, and that's a very subjective thing, brand to brand, category to category. Uh, if the three of us make whiskey in the same still with the same grain, we probably make our cuts a little differently. But um, you know that the t- the back end of the hearts getting into what will become the tails, uh, if you have too much of it, can give you off putting flavors. But right. they're also a really nice mouthfeel, buttery character. If you get some of those kind of chemicals, natural chemicals in there, so I, I think that's why that mouthfeel. One of the reasons why it's so rich is that. Uh, we probably distill it to a slightly lower proof um, than some of our, you know, bourbon bourbon beers. Well, yeah, I mean, when you're di- now, do you distill? Are where are you in the process of distilling? You know, is your distillery where you're distilling open? Are sure. you, you know, give me a give me an update on exactly where you are. Yeah, so uh, I, I tend to over-answer questions, so I'll do that again here. So when we, we, we took over Golden Distillery for the West Coast, uh, so moved out there in 2015, um, moved it back here. We didn't get open in Baltimore until 2017 for a whole 
trail of tears of reasons. It just was the way it happened. Um, and so, but the, when we bought Golden, we had all this whiskey that came with it. And anticipating that we'd be producing our own a few months later, we started to, we worked with Ryan Lang. Uh, we bottled and started selling in Maryland to get the brand out there while we, you know, set up and yada, yada, yada. Well, it turns out that, like I said, it's a much longer process than we anticipated. So we started to get really nervous that we were depleting products and not replenishing it. Uh, so um, the guys out of Middle West were open to talking about contract production and not only just doing it, but at the time, I mean, it's maybe a little more common now at the time, just very uncommon. They were willing to let us come in and use our grain, uh, our yeast, and let us be very hands-on. And, you, you know, they wouldn't give us the keys and walk out, but they'd let us oh. be... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were there. You were making sure it's it's the what would you say? It's the blueprint of Bardstown Bourbon Company. I mean, they that's what they said. And at the time, just, you know, 2016, when they opened, people thought they were crazy. (laughs) But at the same time, as we've gone through this, it's a it's a very, very good, um, you know, blueprint or actually, you know, business. Um, mm-hmm. program for whiskey because of the fact that you let you you have the equipment and the people come in you work with them you let them come in with their grains their mash bills get you know explain the control they have and you guys had the control and it's basically you were distilling you guys were there distilling producing the product that you need to produce and it was amazing I and mean, then we learned so much I and mean, then like you know, Bob and Jim were amazing. Uh, learning how to make whiskey for Bob was like your grandmother teaching you to make a cake. Like, oh, here's step A, step B, step C, step last. Like, do it this way and you'll get this, which is great. I mean, we were enormously grateful to have that. But, you know, the guys in Middle West, when we went out there, helped to teach us all about, you know, hey, here's here's what's efficient about Bob's process. Here's what's inefficient. Here's how you can make it we think better. So they really helped uh, help us really learn, you know, what we had and, and understand it a lot better. Um, so that was amazing. So, uh, so yes, to your original question, so Middle West, we, we originally kind of like we originally set out to make bourbon and sort of make an American single malt because of just the opportunities we saw and had. Uh, similarly, we originally anticipated eventually doing contract production, but we thought we would max out our production here in Baltimore first and then years later jump into that. Well, but the circumstances I mentioned before would take him so long to get here, it flipped that in its head. So we started making out there before we made anything here. Yeah, was, and ended up being an enormous benefit because we learned so much and, and applied those lessons learned. But you know, we have a 300 gallons, so we have 25,000 square feet, most of which is barrel storage. So all of our barrel aging is here. Um, occasionally, we'll have something out of Middle West that hasn't shipped here yet, but it's really for a few months. Um, so all of our barrel aging is here. We have a 300 gallon pot still, and we do our whatever is going to become our bottle and bond. Uh, and uh, we do a peated, uh, a limited run peated whiskey as well. So that kind of uh, small batch stuff happens here, and the workhorse, the engine behind the brand growth, is stuff that we produce with Ryan. So, um, you know, you guys kind of you, you did what no, uh, I think a normal person would do is you decided you wanted to open a distillery, and then you did your research and you did your homework, then you built a distillery, and then you went, oh, sh- you sh- shoot, I don't have enough capacity. In hindsight, do you wish you would have overbuilt capacity? And then you could have made up the difference as a contract distiller for someone else, or would you do it the That's same? A great way? question. Would it's, you do it the same uh, way so, again? Oh, I'm sorry, I missed the last part of that. I was, I was just going to say, would you do it the exact same way again? Uh, oof. What'd you learn? Right. 
Yeah. What, uh, so I guess I would say largely, I think we would do it the same way again, even though it wasn't what we envisioned. Um, and would I like to have a bigger still here? Yes. We'll be some, and we certainly will someday, uh, whether it's in this building or someplace we move to, we're going to put in a bigger still. Um, but uh, we love the flexibility and the relationship we have with Middle West. And I think that, you know, we would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, so would we have put in a bigger still? I mean, really, we put in the biggest still we could afford, frankly. I mean, <laughs> For, yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's so, a, and it's a pot still. It's a pot still. So, yeah. I mean, so I'd, like, I'd like to have a thousand gallon pot still, but, you know, I'll take 300 for now. But at the same time, now, were you, I, I, if you, if I'm getting too personal, let me know, but were you pot stilling at Middle West? No. Yeah. Oh, no. That's, that's you a, were, everything's you were on no, pot still. Okay. You were pot stilling there on a little, a 60 gallon pot still, open flame, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, so that was uh, open flame being, it would sit on this like, uh, would you cook burgers on at a restaurant like a flat? No, I, no, I understand. Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so you were, we were, and they were actually, believe it or not, single distilling. They were, uh, so Bob would take this, uh, this, uh, still looks like it's almost like a big copper, like, like a uh, lava lamp. Like the, the, the still head was like, kind of like angled like that. Uh, it's hard to explain. You'd see it, it would make sense. But, uh, he would take the, the lid off that and shove a hundred feet of copper mesh up there. And for a month and then replaced it a month later and then acted as a reflux agent. So he was single distilling, which we, as soon as we bought it, we started double, mm-hmm. uh, which it was a better way to do it, but they were getting a shockingly good product for that method. Um, that's a, but moon, then, that's some moonshining shit right there. I was gonna say, yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's this place, nothing was to any sort of OSHA stand. I mean, if anybody who really wanted to shut it down walked in there, they would have shut that place down. But that's but 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 yeah, that's the beauty of it. But the beauty of distilling is is that you're making a product that basically kills germs. <laughs> so oh, so because you're doing it that, very clean. it was yeah. just like nothing. Like it was just uh, you know safety wise. You sit there, I'm like, man, I'm sure no one. This is not probably okay, but. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything, but cleanliness wise, it was great. Like you said, even if it wasn't, it's going to, the germs aren't going to survive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I so mean, yeah, we're, we're, oh, go ahead. You're, you're dealing with copper right there. That kills germs yeah. in itself. So, and then you're dealing with a, t- a lot of heat. So the, uh, and then as far as the, uh, to, uh, the, the pot still questions, we're pot still in uh, middle West. We're pot still here in Maryland. And with Ryan at middle, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, Pot still West Coast, pot still here at Old Line. At Middle West with Ryan, we do a our stripping run on a uh, 48-inch Vendome column, and then it goes directly into a finishing run at a pot. So it's okay. uh, a common. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Time. Yeah, we're getting close. Okay. Yeah. I just want to be respectful of the market. Yeah, we're right at 45. Uh, it's, I was thinking about an hour. Is that cool with you? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, because uh, – I've been to Middle West. Uh, I actually, you know, it's funny because I guarantee you, if you talk to Ryan, when you guys, what you guys did, he learned, they learned too, you know. And so there's a, it's, it's, it's always, uh, what would you say? It's the it's symbiotic or whatever. Right, right, be, right. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> that, this it's great. Mark yeah. gets me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, I, if, you. if I let that out there, you know, yeah. he would not come up with that and then just laugh at me and say symbiotic and then just let it <laughs> Jeff, nobody gets you. <laughs> <Anyways>. Nobody. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk. Okay. So you got are are you gonna are you guys thinking that you'll just keep the relationship with middle Middle West and do what you're doing, and that'll just allow you to just get that much more to the market. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's one hundred percent. I mean, we uh, we fully intend um, and communicate with them that we want to keep working with them. Like I said, you know, we'd love to put a bigger still in here and, and produce more here, but uh, it, the ability to go out there and work with people we've known for shit, how long now? You know, eight nine years now um, to make our whiskey. We've done it for years with them. It just like it just fits like a like a glove. It, we love it, and it's so much flexibility. Yeah. Um, they're very good to us. We were one of their first clients. Uh, they don't take on that many. Um, and they are very, very, very good to us. So, yeah, we envision working with them for the long term and also increasing our production here in Maryland as well. But uh, they, they'll always be part of our, our plan as far as I can tell. Well, that that's awesome. I mean, Ryan, just you meet Ryan and I don't know how. I mean, that's just, it's just, he's, he just fits the bill of the people in the whiskey industry. He's 100%. just a quality person, you know, and he's working towards the same goal you guys are working. And, you know, he's, and they're, they're, can't say much right now, but it's like they'll, they'll meet the demand for a lot of people. That's for sure. Yeah. Arch was out there recently talking. So, yeah, definitely there's a, a lot of exciting things happening. That business is really impressive. Uh, yeah, and what he, what he's doing, and and you just see how he works and how much he loves what he's doing, and it's just fantastic. We've been down there a couple times. We'll be going down there again soon. I mean, we're out of Canton, about two hours away from there. So you know, if you guys are up into, if you guys come up to Middle West and you're doing a you're doing a run, let us know. I'd love to We'd come love down. to see you. Absolutely, you know, yeah, for sure. And then if yeah. we're ever out there in the Baltimore area, but last but not least, uh, what is there anything you wanted to just, we haven't covered that you wanted to put out there as far as you got anything up and coming, how can, how can people find you? You know, you know. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I guess, uh, well, I always forget that part. So I'll, I'll do that first is uh, if people do want to find out more, uh, our website's oldlinespirits.com. So O-L-D-L-I-N-E spirits with an S at the end. Uh, com. There's a store locator. Um, we're in uh, Maryland, D.C., Delaware, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Colorado right now as far as and, states that we sell in. Jeff's man cave. And tiny man cave. But we can also, we can't ship, but we have a, a partner in D.C. who can ship to a lot of states. So all that it can be found on our website. And the big thing, I guess, uh, big picture wise is that the you know, biggest challenge for companies in our industry, uh, sorry, in our category rather, I think is that what is in the bottle probably in many ways doesn't reflect what a consumer might think when they pick up and they see single malt. Yeah. Uh, what's in the bottle is maybe a lot different than you expect. Uh, and for us, trial, whether it's Old Line or another brand, it's a lot of great single malts out there. We really encourage people to try it so, um, because I think there a lot of people don't think they like malt. Uh, a lot of bourbon drinkers and then they try an American single malt and they find one they like, and it really opens up a lot of, you know, a lot of room and what they like to taste. So anyway, we ask for people to give it a go and whether it's old line or, or somebody else doing good things, you know, give the category a chance. Uh, that would be a, a big, uh, a big thing for us. Yeah. So Mark, you know, so I guess, you know, just based on what I do for a real job, um, cause this doesn't pay the bills. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. 
this Nor does this. <laughs> so let's say I, I'm a diehard scotch drinker. You know, so let's say you and I have been running into each other at the bar and I've got a, you know, a monkey shoulder or a Johnny Walker in front of me. I mean, what's the message you tell people to, to say, you know what, uh, you know, there's there's this, this bottle called Old Line. And, yeah. You know, it's a single malt whiskey. Um, and, and I think, that, you know, it's like whether you're a diehard bourbon or scotch drinker, you got you got to tell them something to get them to try it. Right. Unless you give it yeah. to them for free and help pour it down their throat. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Most people are not going to take the chance until somebody tells them. So what do you tell sure. them? So, pull, if, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Ben. You pull out your flag and you go, USA, <laughs> USA. No, okay, go ahead. Yeah, naval aviators. Are you a patriot or not? The, uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'll answer that two slightly different ways. If, so, you're a Scotch guy. Um, for me, the message would be, you know, basically one thing I would de emphasize is the age statement because what a lot, not every Scotch drinker, but a lot of Scotch drinkers are very heavily focused on age statement. For a lot of reasons, right? Because the Scots use second-use barrels and they age in a mild climate. It takes a lot longer for that process to really kind of kind of take. But a lot of uh, a lot of times, you hear four or five year, uh, a bourbon drinker is like, "Hey, sure, all right, I get it." Uh, a lot of Scotch drinkers think that's light until they try it. Um, so for me, it's the message on a Scotch drinker is, "Hey, this is all the things you love in a malt because it is a malt." But see what a virgin oak barrel can do to a malt whiskey because they don't really encounter that almost you know, in Scotland. It's almost always used. And then for the bourbon drinker, it's kind of a different angle is, you know, okay, you've tried malts, maybe you didn't take to them. This is, aside from the grain we use, it's produced like a bourbon. Once it's distilled, the rest of it, I'm sorry, once it's uh, mashed, the rest of the process is very, very bourbon in style. So you know, this, this is a malt whiskey designed for a bourbon drinker is the way I describe it to a bourbon drinker. Um, and really, to your point, it's just getting them to get liquor to lips and try it. And is it for everybody? No, but it's... Uh, you know, we're very, our conversion rate, I'll say to people who try it and love it is very high. Um, of course, occasionally you have people out there who just don't like malts and that's fine. It's, you can't be all things to all people, but, um, just trying to find what, what gets that person interested and in trying to show how old line can tie into that without being a, a bullshit artist, really. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're not a scotch, right? You're, and you're not a bourbon. Right. Well, you can't but, be but, a scotch, yes. but, sure. but, but I think, I think that somebody, that is ignorant and doesn't know this flavor profile is going to, it should try this. I mean, honestly, it, don't you think you're closer to an Irish whiskey than you are a scotch? I mean, from the standpoint of taste and everything that's going on. So I don't think so, but you are not alone in saying that. I, a lot of people whose palates I respect have said that same thing. I, that's not the way I, I kind of internalize it, but you're not alone in saying that. Um, the way I would, if I were to describe it, like at a tasting or something, says, "Hey, you know, listen, I'm not drinking today. Um, what, what, what is it? What, tell me what it tastes like." I would to a, if I had to describe it to somebody who's, I didn't know the level of whiskey knowledge they had, and they only had five or ten seconds. I'd say, okay, if you had a, a Woodford Reserve over here, like an Oak Four Bourbon, and a Macallan over here, you know, maybe right in between, maybe a nudge on the bourbon side is how I would describe it. Uh, to somebody in, 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 a, in a hot second, I only had a second to describe it. That, that's pretty quick and dirty and rough, but that's probably how I could communicate it very quickly to somebody with a, a bag full of groceries that needed to move on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. So, yeah. You did you give you didn't give us the where to go to find you and everything. Give us a, oh so uh, at uh, yeah, old, 
oldlinespirits.com. And then there's a uh, store locator on there. Uh, you can also find when the distillery is open. So when you come out to, to Baltimore, hopefully, well, you guys just let us know. We'll open the doors when we're not open. But for the, for the, for the average mortal who isn't you guys. Jeff, uh, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff will just sleep on the sidewalk like he does on bourbon drops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You might wake up without your wallet in the sidewalk, but uh, yeah, uh, no one's yeah, it, no. I'm my my name might be tiny, but no one's no one's no one's challenging me for my wallet, right? Okay. <laughs> but the uh, so yeah, you can find the distillery hours uh, when when we're open, which is Fridays and Saturdays. Uh, we have a full bar, so we have a you know, we have beer, we carry beer and wine as well. That way, if people have you know people don't drink whiskey, they can come here and enjoy a, a cocktail or a. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, we're very lucky to have that. And yeah, and then the store locator. And then, uh, you know, and if you're if you're in Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Colorado, uh, Maryland, D.C., Delaware, uh, you should have a place not too far from you where you can pick up. Nice. You're working on Ohio? Ohio, we've avoided the control states for the most part just because they can be a real challenge. But uh, Ohio, we, we've talked to Ryan about it, actually. We would like to be out that way. Because uh, if you do, I have the person to contact, and she can get okay. you all this stuff and walk you through. It's really not that bad. Uh, okay. And uh, they love to uh, do barrel picks. And, I mean, it's just. Uh, love them, too. Yeah. So, yeah, and well, Ohio really has flipped that control state negativity to turn it into a positive thing. So, we're, we've got a director. uh for OHLQ that um, Jim has been basically, he's a whiskey lover. And he's pretty much between 2017 and 23 completely flipped everything around. So I'll definitely, if you want to, get you in touch with the right people. I would, I would love to have that conversation, absolutely. Um, and that's, it's news to me that that's, that I'm interested in chatting more about that, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. All right, everybody. Uh, <laughs> Wonderful to have you here, Mark. Uh, it was a uh, good you. podcast. Uh, I mean, it's a really good whiskey. It's a really I mean, good I, I've enjoyed it. Uh, had seconds when I probably shouldn't have. But at the same time, oh, you know, he's driving and round, I'm not. Around six or seven, <laughs> that never hurt anybody. Yeah, no. <laughs> so anyways, uh, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, Old Line Spirits, uh, check out their American Single Malt Plus. Yeah. Check out their website. They've got a lot of finished uh, American single malts, and they're doing a lot of different things. So definitely something everybody should should uh, check out. Uh, I, uh, you know, not uh, Tracy, uh, sh- you know, Tracy Green. She basically was the one I met her in Kentucky, and she reached out, and I'm glad that she did because uh, – you guys are making good whiskey. Great story. Uh, you got the whole thing. I really think you got the the, the backstory and everything. And so hopefully in like, uh, what, 300 years, you're still going and, you know, you're yeah. you're part of the whole thing, you know. So it's so. kind of a cool thing when it comes to whiskey, right? Oh, it's you know, timeless. We had somebody ask if you sell the peated product in Michigan. No, we're not in Michigan. The peated is, is mostly distillery only um, at this point because it's not a full release yet. So that'll be a Good while, and unfortunately, a while in getting out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, I, I didn't say it before, but thank you for your service. And well, likewise, and, yeah, and thank uh, you on both fronts. And um, thank you guys. It really, I'm really glad 
uh, Tracy connected us, and uh, she's great. And uh, are you just saying so, that? Because I mean, I, I know Jeff pretty well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, can, I, owe, I owe Jeff money, so I gotta be nice. Yeah. Yeah. So he could change his opinion after we meet it down at Middle West. So or out by you guys. Or so come, come up to the football hall of fame. Yeah, absolutely. Canton, Ohio. Perfect. Yeah, okay. good area. Lots of places to stay. Good times. All right, so uh, stay on because we're going to finish up here. We're going to play, and uh, I'm going to stop the recording. But hang on because I we definitely have some things to talk about. All right, everybody, www.scotchybourbonboys.com. Uh, check out everything uh, Scotchy Bourbon Boys. Make sure you check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. TikTok and YouTube, uh, and then also all major podcast formats. Remember, like, listen, comment, and subscribe. And uh, with that, good bourbon, good whiskey equals good times and good friends. And make sure that you all go out there and live your life dangerously. Little Steve-O's going to take us out. Peace. Show me the way to the next whiskey bar. Oh, don't ask why. Oh, don't ask why. Show me the way to the next whiskey bar. Oh, don't ask why. Oh, don't ask why. For if we don't find the next whiskey bar, I tell you we must die. I tell you we must die I tell you, I tell you I tell you we must die Hey, Scotchy Bourbon Boys fans This is Alan Bishop, Indiana's Alchemist of the Black Forest So I'm tuning in here today to tell you all about the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute channel on YouTube if you're at all interested in the art of distilling, whether it be home distilling or professional distilling, and the intense geekery that goes into that process, then check out the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute on YouTube. I promise you're going to learn something you didn't know before about the arts.